Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. Merry Christmas. Oh, yes. Merry Christmas. It is Christmas today. You should you should finish your... That's right. <laughs> you didn't even say you're Zach. I did say I'm Zach. I said I'm Zach. And you said oh, you I'm Seth. Yeah, you started it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seth has had one too many eggnogs. But yes, it is It is Christmas Merry Day. Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. One and all, as Tiny Tim said... Before we get into Christmas and talking about Christmas, I want everyone to know that I'm feeling a lot better. Oh, yeah. Remember, I was sick with the last episode. I was also sick that last episode. I thought you didn't show up to episodes when you're sick. No, I showed up to that one. But remember, we were both sick. We talked about it. Yeah, that's right. You always don't show up to episodes when you're locked in closets. That's right. Anyway, Merry Christmas, everybody. Hopefully, you received a lot of Classic Gaming Brother swag from under the table. Under the table. <laughs> <laughs> Under the tree, even. Under the table. Under the table. That's how sketchy, we... classic Gaming <laughs> Brothers bootleg swag. Yeah, that's how we deal with our swag. Under the table and out of the truck. <laughs> <laughs> you just give us those crisp, crunchy $20 bills. Both this episode and next week's episode are falling on holidays when they get released. Because next week's episode will be on New Year's Day. Wow. Anyway. Welcome to another episode. We uh, wanted to talk about Christmassy things because it's Christmas. It is. It is Christmas. But we've already done a Christmas episode where we talked about our Christmas memories. So we can't really do that. So we got to whittle down the topics of Christmas themed items. And that's where we're getting into today's episode. Arguably, we could have released the episode again. And uh, I don't know if anyone would have caught on. I don't know either. (laughs) We got some dedicated listeners. That's right. And they would understand if we released the same episode again. They would, but that's not what the Classic Gaming Brothers do. We do not reuse content. Anyway, Seth, what have you been playing this Christmas season? Well, what have I been playing this Christmas season? I was going to say something about how I hope our listeners have been enjoying time with their families instead of turning on us as soon as the episode drops. No, I don't want that. I want our listeners to immediately turn on Classic Gaming Brothers. I want them to be sitting at the dinner table with their families and to look at their phone and see an alert pop up and say a new episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. And I want those listeners to stay up and say i must go my people need me and walk out and then listen to the episode and then come back but not explain what they did i was watching a uh, an episode of lgr lazy game reviewer great and YouTuber. he is a great youtuber and he's a very nice man but he was doing an oddware episode where there where he received a christmas light set that had a built-in bluetooth speaker nice so you could play music or sounds from essentially the tree and i hope that out there in the world somebody plays our episode from their christmas tree (laughs) anyway recently i've been playing a game called what never was and i actually beat it because it's very short (laughs) and by very short i mean 15 minutes uh is how long it took me to beat the game it's free, so it's not like I paid money for 15 minutes worth of entertainment, which, I mean, I guess if, if those 15 minutes were really, really good, I could, I don't know. I think free is the only price you can pay for 15 minutes. I don't know if I can actually, for a video game, this game, what never was, what is free. It's on Steam. Uh, and it's more of a prologue to what's going to be, I guess, the sequel that is going to be called What Never Was Chapter One. It was uh, developed and published by Aki Halgren, and there was a team of people that worked on it it was released in january of 2019 you play as a girl named sarah and you're going through your grandfather's attic because 
because he's dead. And that's what you have to do with those type of situations come up. Uh, you're sorting through his things. In it, there is a cassette tape player with the old school cassette tapes. And there's a message that uh, Sarah's grandfather left her. And he's talking about how there's like mysteries to the world. And as long as you know where to look, you can figure it out. And you use his message to go through and solve puzzles in the attic and unlock a mystery. It's a very cool way to introduce a game. And I actually ended up afterwards putting chapter one on my wish list. The voice work is really, really good. Uh, it's a first person like 3D puzzler and plays like other first person 3D puzzlers, but the voice work is really top notch. And it really tantalized me enough to get me excited for the release of the game, which is not out yet. So if you're interested in a, um, a demo, really, I guess the prologue, it's not a demo because it has Steam achievements that you can get. Which I guess some demos have anyway. But it is its own standalone game. And it's free. And if you're interested in a story, you can check out What Never Was. And if you're not interested in a story, maybe you can check out Zach's game which was RC Pro-Am for the NES. Uh, RC Pro-Am was a game created by Rare and published by Nintendo back in 1988. And uh, yeah, it's a great game. I love it. You race around as cars and you collect power-ups and you can shoot missiles at each other. It's uh, only a single-player game. There's no multiplayer in RC Pro-Am, which is unfortunate because it's a very fun game. And I think it would do well if there was multiplayer, but there isn't. And in RC Pro-Am, you're doing uh, like laps around a, a track and uh, your, your goal is to get, obviously, you want to get first place but your goals do not get fourth place if you get fourth place you are out and you get a game over so you ideally want to get one through three and it can get tougher and tougher as you play through the ai is pretty aggressive they will uh collect power-ups and shoot you and drop bombs and stuff and you kind of have to use not only the power-ups that you find but also the environment around you at your advantage one of the things i like about rc program is the fact that the cover for the game makes the cars look like they're like roadsters like almost like f1 roadsters yeah. but in the gameplay they're all trucks they yeah they look like trucks or vans and i love that it's very silly to me as Seth alluded to, we used to have the Genesis version, which was called Championship Pro-Am. Championship Pro-Am is actually a remake of RC Pro-Am with better graphics. Superior game. I prefer Championship Pro-Am, yeah. I think Everyone should prefer game. Champions. Everyone should prefer it. But I did want to try playing RC Pro-Am. There's also a RC Pro-Am 2 for the NES, which I have not tried yet. But maybe I will give it a try. There's no Championship Pro-Am 2, though. No. Do you know what my favorite part of Championship Pro-Am is? Ah, uh, the music, because it's great. Yeah. We should do a Championship Pro-Am episode. Yeah, we maybe we will. Anyway, today's episode is not about RC Pro-Am, Championship Pro-Am, or anything else. It is about two properties uh, that, in my opinion... And I think it's Seth's opinion. Embody the true meaning of Christmas. That's right. And if you don't think so, you're wrong. Yes. These are two movie properties that are really the perfect Christmas films. Die Hard and Home Alone. Uh, both films also have plenty of video game content. And that's why we're going to talk about them. Because we are not the classic movie brothers. So we're not really going to focus on the movies. But we'll 
give you some background because we like to infer that uh, you don't know anything about the topic we're talking about. So we like to provide some context to everything that we discuss. That's like our thing. We're pedantic. Uh, yeah, I remember listening to the episode that you did with uh, Jim, Evil Jim. Oh, yeah. And he called yeah, yeah. you out on the fact that you explained something that's kind of general knowledge. And you're like, listen. <laughs> I put him in his place. He needed to know. Yeah, we're pedantic. But I think everyone knows that. Right. We are pedantic. And we're so we're going to focus on the games, but we'll discuss the movies a bit. To start us off, we're going to talk about Die Hard. Die Hard came out in 1988, and it was based on a book, Nothing Lasts Forever, by Roderick Thorpe, which came out in 1979. The film was directed by John McTiernan and starred Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman. Die Hard follows NYPD officer John McClane, who has recently arrived in LA to visit his wife and his children. He attends his wife's office holiday party, and all is going well until the building is attacked by a West German radical, played by Alan Rickman, who is looking to steal money from the company. McClane, who is barefoot throughout most of this movie, and yes, that is relevant to this episode, must stop these terrorists... Uh, using what little resources he has and reunite with his family. And he's barefoot because somebody told him to be barefoot. Right. As he's getting off the plane, there's a guy and the guy's like, oh, you know what I do to uh, deal with uh, deal with that kind of like fatigue you get? Take off your shoes and just, you know, rub them through some carpet. And McKillian's yeah. like, yeah, I'll try it. And then he does it and he's like, son of a bitch. Which really says something about the 80s since today, there's not a lot of carpet in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. There's a lot of carpet in the 80s. Yeah, so he like he takes off his shoes in the first couple of, like after he arrives at the office party, he goes to his wife's office and he's like decompressing after the flight because he literally just got off the flight and he takes off his shoes and then like immediately the West German guy and his band of merry terrorists attack and like John has to like hide and he's barefoot throughout like the entirety of the movie. And now there is debate about whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas film. Uh, despite the fact that the movie takes place at Christmas, has Christmas music, and is about a family reuniting and being with each other for the holidays. You know what that sounds like to me? Home Alone. Home Alone, as a movie, came out in 1990. It was directed by John Hughes. It stars Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, and Daniel Stern. And also John Candy is in it. And uh, the movie Home Alone is about Kevin McAllister, played by Macaulay Culkin, who's a young boy who was left, as you can assume, home alone, by accident when his, when his family travels to Paris for Christmas. On Christmas Eve, two criminals called the Wet Bandits break into Kevin's house. Kevin, however, is aware of the plan, and he is tasked with essentially stopping the bandits with what little resources he has, and ultimately, he reunites with his family in the end. So, here we have someone who is stopping people who are trying to terrorize him, terrorists, if you would, using what little resources he has to reunite with his family. Sounds an awful lot like Die Hard. I mean, arguably, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, who play Marvin Harry, are burglars, and they're actually not that good of being robbers because when a building is empty and you steal from it, you are a burglar and you are burgling the building. When you steal from someone like you mug them or you enter their home and they are there you are now robbing so alan rickman in die hard is a robber because part of his whole and also a terrorist to some point but he's mostly a robber yeah so his whole shtick is that he's He's pretending to be a terrorist. It's not a plot twist, but he's like, literally, he's trying to stage a terrorist attack so that he could steal bonds. So he's a robber and 
Marv and Harry are burglars. And neither of them are good robbers because ultimately they fail. But they're both thieves. Now, both films actually end up becoming pretty successful, which is fun. I know a little bit more about Home Alone than I do about Die Hard. And I know that Home Alone actually had a really small budget and they had a really good liaison to the studio so that they were able to get more money when they ran out of it. And the movie that ultimately came out is uh, is great. So if you're ever watching Home Alone and you're like, wow, this looks like they might not have had a lot of money. They didn't, uh, which is why it's also kind of in a, a single set the entire time, uh, which was fully constructed for the movie. Anyway, they both became cult classic movies um, and both pretty big Christmas movies. Um, they also spawned a series of sequels, both good and bad. And they both had multimedia franchises as well. Uh, which included video games. Now, the first Die Hard game would be released in 1990 for the Commodore 64, and this game was developed by Silent Software and published by Activision and follows the plot of the movie fairly closely. The game is played in a third-person perspective where you walk the hallways of Nakatomi Plaza, the building that the movie is set in. You are confronted by terrorists as you collect various items like ammo, rope, and food, similar to things that uh, Bruce Willis needs in Die Hard. I don't think he often needs like to like constantly eat. I know, but he has like a candy bar yeah, at some point. Yeah, he eats like a time, candy bar he? at some point, yeah. But uh, I'm just saying like I think in the game you're collecting like cans of beans. Uh the game features a timer as Hans, uh the character that Alan Rickman plays as, as Hans Gruber's team is working to unlock a series of locks on the vault that contains the 640 million dollars in untraceable bearer bonds and you have to stop Hans's group before all the locks are broken. Now, what's great about the Commodore 64 game is it contains very choppy cutscenes that are images from the movies. And when you finally defeat Hans, he falls out of a window and the sound of a slide whistle plays. The NES version of the game is likely a bit more familiar to people, especially as it was covered by uh, an angry video game nerd in a 2007 video. The NES game is played from a top-down perspective, and you must clear each floor of Nakatomi Plaza. There are 40 terrorists, which we learned are just robbers, throughout the building, and you gotta kill them all. Initially, you are only given a pistol and you the use of your fists, but throughout the game, you can pick up a machine gun, explosive, rocket launcher, flamethrowers, and flashbang grenades, just like what Bruce Willis picks up during Die Hard. Now, the NES game does have some frustrating elements to it. For one thing, you can only shoot at a 90 or 45 degree angle. This is compensated a bit with the machine gun, which you can spray in an arc, but you risk using up your bullets when you do this. You also have the chance of losing items when you are hurt, meaning you must pick up those items again, which can be frustrating if you didn't realize that you dropped the item that you needed when you got hurt a few levels back. You also have a foot meter, which depletes if you walk across glass or run. If you empty your foot meter, McLean will move slowly until he picks up a health kit. I like that the game designers were like, John McLean is, is barefoot throughout this film. Let's make him barefoot throughout this game. And they made it a relevant gameplay mechanic. The NES Die Hard is kind of a arguably not a bad game. It's arguably not a good game. Uh, obviously, as it was covered by the AVGN, you can imagine it has some moments that would make it qualified for an AVGN episode. But at the same time, it's, it's still very much a playable game. It just can be 
pretty frustrating. Now, a few years later, in 1996, Die Hard Arcade released for the Sega Saturn, PlayStation 2, and in the arcade. This game was developed by Sega Technical Institute and was the first beat-em-up to use texture-mapped 3D polygon graphics. Which is kind of a cool cool thing going on with uh, beat-em-up technology at the time. Now, the game plays as a beat-em-up where you play as either John McClane or an original character named Chris Thompson. Using a variety of weapons, you must battle your way through waves of enemies, and you can also combine items to make more powerful weapons. Unlike the NES or the Commodore 64 Die Hard game, Die Hard Arcade is not based on the movie. It's also not based on the second movie or the third movie. It's its own original story, which is odd because the box art is literally a picture of John McClane standing in front of Nakatomi Plaza, like in the like shirt that he wears, carrying the machine gun. It like looks like it's from the first movie. It has nothing to do with the first movie, the plot. In the plot, you play as John McClane and Chris Thompson as they try to save the president's daughter from terrorists. After you defeat the final boss, you must fight either Chris Thompson or John McClane, depending on who you're playing as and who your friend is playing as, so you can win the appreciation of the president's daughter. Fight to the death? Oh yeah. <laughs> First of all, it should have been about the original Nakitomi Plaza, like the original Die Hard movie, and if they wanted to introduce a second character, they should have introduced the second character to be Al Powell, who is the... Yes! The cop? Yeah. Yeah, played by uh, Reginald Fell Johnson. Um, and then that player should have played him outside and had to work his way in. And the other character had to play up at the top and work their way down. Let's be real. He's the true hero of the story. Oh, yeah, he is. I mean, if, if he wasn't around, John McClane would die at the end of Die Hard. Spoiler alert. Spoiler Jeez. alert. Spoiler alert. But to the, a movie the, that's been out since 1980. <laughs> yeah, there's the last surviving robber who is about to shoot John McClane and uh, and Al Powell pulls out his handgun and bops him in the head. That's right. It's almost as if, if he had set the scene earlier in the movie by saying that he regrets he killing a gun, kid yeah, he shot and he doesn't again. use his gun. Amazing. I love when movie tropes come and show their face. <laughs> but anyway, funny enough, Sega only had the Die Hard license for the US release of this game. The Japanese release had to be entirely stripped of its Die Hard identity and was instead renamed Dynamite Decca, uh, a sequel to Dynamite Decca was also released in 1998 as Dynamite Cop. You know what would be funny is if like, so this Die Hard Arcade game was released as Dynamite Decca in Japan. What if somebody went over there, saw Dynamite Decca, and then made a movie about Dynamite Decca in America about the plot of going to get the appreciate like the whole plot yeah. of Dynamite Decca, which is not Die Hard's plot. And then there was an entire franchise emergence of the Dynamite cop like as a separate oh, so franchise good. in the u.s but that didn't happen i'm just that it could have though the last die hard game that we'll talk about is die hard trilogy uh this game came out in 1996 for the playstation sega saturn and windows the game was developed by probe entertainment and published by fox interactive it is a relatively unique game as it's actually three games in one each based on one of the three original die hard films the first game based on the first film is a third-person shooter where you rescue hostages in Nakatomi Plaza. In the second game, based on Die Hard 2, Die Harder, the gameplay changes to an on-the-rails shooter where you must stop terrorists who have taken control of the Dulles airport. And this can be played with a gamepad, a mouse, or a light gun, except on newer television sets where it can only be played on a gamepad or mouse. <laughs> 
the last game in this collection is based on Die Hard with a Vengeance and changes the gameplay to driving, where you control a taxi cab, sports car, and a dump truck, and you must find and defuse explosives throughout the city. I just wished, I know they're three separate things. I wish it was a sports car that was also a taxi cab <laughs> and, and also, also a dump, dump truck. truck. God, that would be the best car in the world. Like an RC Pro-Am Oh, yes, like one of those weird trucks. Now, to switch things up a bit, we're going to talk about the Home Alone games. Uh, And we have a number of Home Alone games to talk about. Uh, For one thing, the first movie inspired seven games for seven different consoles. Like Die Hard, one of these games was released for the personal computer, uh, though specifically the MS-DOS and Amiga. This version was developed by Manly and Associates and requires you to set up a series of traps throughout the house in a five-minute time frame. Once the timer has elapsed, the Wet Bandits will arrive in the house separately from different entrances and if you touch either of the bandits you will be caught and the game will end you can permanently incapacitate them by hurting them 10 times when i read this for the first time when i read about this game the first thing i thought was is it permanently incapacitate them mean you murder them so you have to murder the bandits Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They're also, like, there's more than just Harry and Marv. They've, like, recruited, like, other criminals. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you do not have enough traps to permanently incapacitate them, you cannot win the game. The NES version was developed by Bethesda Softworks and has a kind of similar idea in the sense that you have to set up traps. However, the game's end goal is to avoid being caught for 20 minutes. You can also hide throughout the house but you can only hide twice because that's the that's the rule that's the rule of life is you can only hide twice twice period or you can only hide twice in the same spot i think it's only in the same spot well that makes sense in life if you keep (laughs) just keep hiding in the same closet (laughs) like someone who's invading your home is going to find you if you keep hiding in the same closet at some point the wet bandits will get you now in a similar vein the sega genesis and game gear versions developed by sega of america also have a time limit but this one's a 20 minute time limit however these games feature a different plot in this version of home alone kevin not only has to protect his house from the wet bandits but has to protect other houses from the wet bandits, like some weird vigilante. The bandits will drive around the neighborhood in a van until they find the house that they want to rob, and you, as Kevin, are traveling to these houses via a sled, um, and you battle the bandits within the houses. You fight them by filling up their pain meter, which (laughs) sounds terrifying. Once it's filled, the bandits will retreat. If you are unsuccessful, the bandits will flood the house with water as their calling card, and you are not able to re-enter the house, because they are the wet bandits i don't think you can actually go into your house in the beginning of the game i think you have to actually go to somebody else's house and the other thing is like you're traveling via sled around these neighborhoods and you have sled mechanics so you're like sliding around trying to get to these different locations so like it's a challenge to get to the house let alone like do the game that's actually fighting them I also really enjoy this because I feel like this is playing on the fact that he goes to the Murphy's house to get them arrested. Yeah, it kind of feels like to me that the people who designed the game saw Home Alone and then went home and went to bed and woke up and realized that they forgot to write any notes. And they were like, well, he goes to other houses. Yeah, I mean, he does. I think it's a unique take on the game. And for a video game, so like the best part of, I feel like these games is setting the traps. And if you have a house that's like six rooms, that game's going to be over real quick. But if you have multiple houses, keep the game going. Now, you start the Sega game with uh, a BB gun. You can also pick up a rifle, a bazooka, or a mortar. (laughs) 
um, because those are the things that uh, all children should use. You load these weapons with things like glue, snow, coals, or light bulbs. So you can get a bazooka and shoot light bulbs. Kind of like Fallout a little bit. I wish Kevin had a, had, a, had a mini nuke. You can also set up traps as long as you enter a house before the bandits do. If you're caught, Kevin gets strung up on the wall and the bandits will rob the house and increase the flood meter until you escape. It's not that bad. If you get caught, you have to come down. Uh, there's also these spiders that will fall from the ceiling and will attack both you and the bandits and will like put them out so you can have these like spiders but all the houses have spiders and the spiders are like the size of kevin so like we're talking about like three foot size spiders on harder difficulties the timer until the police arrive increases from 20 minutes to 40 minutes oddly the master system version is different from the game gear version and the sega genesis version and was developed by a different company probe entertainment in this game you walk around 30 different levels in six different houses the wet bandits must be evaded and you must collect valuables and put them in a safe before the time runs out the houses also may have a dog or a cat the dog will attack the bandits and may make them lose a valuable if they've already gotten one or they could make you lose a valuable the cats will move valuables to different levels your weapon in the game is a bb gun and it can be used to make one of the bandits drop an item if they're holding one like the master system version the snes version developed by Imagineering Inc. sees you trying to bring valuable items to a safe location, the laundry chute. However, the game is only set in one house, your house, and the safe area is the basement. Also, in the basement are rats, bats, spiders, and ghosts. Because that's something that I remember from Home Alone. <laughs> it's Kevin McAllister fighting ghosts. I love this SNES version because the valuables are like sacks of cash oh yeah and like <laughs> and like gold bars chandel like um kevin's like family candles. seem like criminals themselves and they're stored in various places that you normally don't store things unless you're a criminal like the toilet <laughs> and kevin will go over to the toilet and he will search the toilet and he will pull out a sack of cash which he will then toss down the laundry chute before the people invading the house who are also now the fbi yeah i was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> they should do that. They should mod the SNES version so that the bandits are actually IRS FBI people. <laughs> Yes, and, there he's, and Kevin's trying to hide all the ill-gotten gains, because that's what that game plays like. But also ghosts. Finally, the Game Boy version, also developed by Imagineering, is like a combination of the SNES and the NES version. You have to gather up items and bring them to the safe area by depositing them in the laundry chute, and requires you to evade the bandits using various traps. After you collect the minimum amount of items, you can finally access the basement, where you must fight a giant spider a giant rat, a giant ghost, the bandits themselves, and finally, you have to fight the house's furnace, which is a reference to the movie because Kevin is terrified of his basement's furnace, but is also... <laughs> I get maybe possessed by the ghosts. I want to meet the person who only played the Home Alone video games and hadn't seen the movies and then went to go see the first movie and was like, where are the ghosts? There are no ghosts in this movie. Now, to capitalize on the success of the next movie, Home Alone 2 Lost in New York, a series of games were also made for various systems, though only five versions were made as opposed to seven. And most of the versions are actually pretty similar to each other. The DOS version of the game, again by Manly and Associates, features you playing as Kevin as you run through the streets of New York. You are pursued non-stop by the wet bandits as you run either left to right or right to left. To slow them down, you have to throw objects at them, 
like bananas or pans or other like I think you throw like manhole covers at them. Uh, you can also trigger environmental hazards to slow them down. The NES, Game Boy, and Super Nintendo versions are pretty much all identical to each other, with some differences in terms of graphical fidelity. The NES version looks better than the Game Boy version, and the Super Nintendo version looks better than both of them combined. These were created by Imagineering, and involve you playing as Kevin as you explore New York and the Plaza Hotel. Not only do you have to deal with the wet bandits, but you also have to deal with a variety of other enemies and objects that want to kill you. Uh, not necessarily ghosts in this one, but like the guy behind the counter at the hotel for some reason causes you damage, I'm pretty sure. Or like bellhops. Lastly, the Sega Genesis version of Home Alone 2, developed by Sega, plays more like a side-scrolling platformer. You travel around the city, you collect various items and weapons to stop the bandits. Now, I didn't include this in the notes, but to talk about how these games did, all of them, the Die Hard games did okay. The first Die Hard game, I think, from what I've seen, uh, has some mixed reviews, mostly people complaining about the awkwardness and the frustration of the controls. Die Hard the Arcade scored a little better. It uh, has a 7.3 that it received from EG. GM, a 7.1 from GameSpot. Meanwhile, Die Hard Trilogy received a 8.7 from EGM and a 9.4 from GameSpot. So did a little better. Now the Home Alone games uh, did not score so well. The Super Nintendo game got a 62 out of 100. The Sega Master System version got a 61%. The Genesis version got a 24%. <laughs> so, eh, kind of a mixed range there. Uh, for Home Alone 2, also kind of mediocre scores. Genesis version was rated by a publication called All Game uh, with two and a half stars. They rated the PC version with three stars. Super Nintendo version with two and a half stars. The Game Boy version with two and a half stars. And the NES version with one star. So needless to say, the Home Alone games are not necessarily the highest quality of video games that one can find. But that being said, the Sega Genesis Genesis Home Alone game, I think, uh, has some fun qualities about it, um, even if it's original, an original take on the story. And I think the Super Nintendo version of the Home Alone game is also pretty fun, be it a little weird with its ghosts. And that will do it for Home Alone. And for Die Hard, that's our Die Hard Home Alone Christmas holiday special. Now, let's get into our retro rewind, Seth. Yes, that's me. Do you want to go first? Sure, I can go first. I played Nose Ark. That was not developed by Capcom, as Zach lied to us sorry, in the previous I episode. Capcom and Konami. The Noah's Ark game was not developed by Capcom, but was developed by Source Research and Development, a British company, and was published by Konami. It was also released, uh, Noah's Ark was released in Europe only as a PAL game. It was released in 1992 for the NES, and you play as Noah as you traverse the levels, killing animals that are in your way. You shoot various different types of weapons, mostly ball-looking stuff, uh, sometimes arrows, as you clear out crabs and snails and birds from attacking you as you go left to right. They also don't die, they fly away as if they were projectiled away. It's a little weird. Uh, at the end of the stage, at the end of most stages, there is the same boss, and it's a weird face with a, one eye and a mouth and some balls that make up its snake-like body. And I wondered what it was, so I researched. And apparently, it is a animated drain plug that you have to fight. When you kill the drain plug, the water drains out. And then the water in the level goes down. 
So essentially, the game is stating, if only Noah killed the drain plug demon, he could have prevented the world from flooding. Yeah, this boss is strange, but when you kill him, fruit and diamonds rain from the sky, as if someone above was treating Noah to a, a special treat. The levels I played also slowly fill with water. You have to avoid going into the water, but going into the water is not like a game over. You can go into the water, but you start to die, and you can actually access other levels of the water level. You can access other parts of the levels if you go down instead of up. You can go into like a cave system for some levels instead of above the grass. However, you need to not dawdle in the water. It is overall a relatively slow-paced platformer, which is not too hard, uh, which on the NES is unique. The slow pace may have been caused by the emulation that I was doing through a browser, but I did watch a video of it played on the, the world of long plays, and it was equally as slow. It's just kind of a slow-paced game. It is a PAL game, so the refresh rate's different than a NTSC game. Does it hold up is the question that we bring up when we talk about Retro Rewinds. Uh, not for me, it didn't. I didn't regret the time that I played it, but I won't go back and play it again. If you're a fan of biblical platformers that aren't too tough, then maybe this is the game for you. If you're not a fan of biblical platformers... Could probably pass. So Zach, since I'm still feeling in the Christmas mood, you could play Alone in the Dark 2. But not just regular Alone in the Dark 2. I want you to play Jack in the Dark. Seth had me play Duke Nuclear Winter, which was a Christmas slash winter themed expansion pack for Duke Nukem. It was uh, developed by Simply Silly Software and published by Wizardworks and released in December of 1997. It's a weird version of Duke Nukem. It's, it's set in a time when Santa has been kidnapped by the feminist elven militia, which is very uh, Duke Nukem fitting. And uh, in the game, you, you play as Duke and you have to save Santa by fighting through various enemies. Majority of the enemies come from the main game, but they are wearing Christmas-themed outfits. So, like, some of the enemies wear Santa hats. Uh, you also have to fight other more Christmas-themed villains, like uh, a snowman. It, it's fun. It's literally just Duke Nukem, but, like, not. Uh, in fact, the first map is a map from Duke Nukem played in reverse. So it's literally Duke Nukem. I did actually find it kind of difficult at times, even on easier settings. Uh, one of the enemies that you encounter pretty early on is a snowman riding a snowmobile with a chain gun. And he's like just stationed outside the door that you have to leave through. And he just plugs away at you instantly. And it's very hard to get out of his line of sight. That was very obnoxious. Does Duke Nukem Nuclear Winter hold up? No, I don't think so. It's, it's, if you like Duke Nukem, sure. But I, I wouldn't go out of your way to play it. Personally, I prefer Life's a Beach, which was a, another Duke Nukem expansion pack, but in that one, Duke has a water gun. That's pretty funny. Now, next week, Seth, I want you to play a Christmas game as well. I want you to play Days, D-A-Z-E, Before Christmas for the Sega Mega Drive. I will do this said thing, and I will play Days Before Christmas, as our next episode will not be released on Christmas, since today is Christmas, but we're still staying in the spirit, and perhaps we will try to play New Year's games. Anyway, thanks for listening, and thank you for joining us since this is our last episode of 2022 we appreciate uh you being on this journey with us for the last three years and a month we have released an episode on every sunday and 2023 will probably be no different than all the previous years that you've had with us where we will 
release an episode every Sunday, promise to do additional content, and just not do that additional content. We'll say we're going to update the website. We won't. And <laughs> we will try to go to conventions. And we hope that you've enjoyed the last however many episodes you've listened to Classic Gaming Brothers. And we're excited to see you next year in 2023, the year of Classic Gaming Brothers. Now, If you want to listen to more of our episodes, we're available where all podcasts are available. If you want to contact us because you loved having a year of Classic Gaming Brothers and you're really mad we're not doing another top 10 for January, well, sometimes who knows maybe we will to this probably not though but you can send us an email to uh, classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com finally check out our social medias where we pretty much just post when the episodes released the social medias were on our facebook instagram twitter and twitch we are classic gaming brothers on all of them except for twitch which we are cg brothers pod we have yet to migrate off of twitter but if we do we'll probably be some sort of classic gaming brothers but to wrap up everything thanks for joining us for 2022 it was a great year for classic gaming brothers zach did i miss anything don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been zach and i've been seth and we have been the classic gaming brothers that's right that is right merry christmas